This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of the Asian Madness Podcast. I apologize for my spotty schedule lately. I won't bore you with my life, but basically life is getting in the way at times and I do try to balance things out, whether it's work, personal life, and podcasting. I do hope you're all doing well and staying safe. Crazy how we're already in September, and hopefully 2021 will be much kinder to all of us. Anyway, today's case is once again a listener suggestion. So thank you, Anais, for your email and your follow on Instagram. I actually do remember this case when it happened about four years ago, and it was pretty creepy knowing something like this could happen to somebody or anybody. But the more I looked into it, the creepier it got, and I'm also wondering if some of you will agree with me. Or probably most of you will. This is the case of a woman who was killed after going out for an afternoon coffee with her friends. It all seems so innocent, so casual, so normal, until it wasn't. Did Myrna Salihin's so-called friend, Jessica Wongso, really murder her? Let's begin, and you can decide for yourself. For this case, I will not start from the very beginning. Let's start on the day when shit went down. January 6, 2016. Three friends had plans to meet up at around 4.30pm for some coffee at the Grand Indonesia shopping mall in Jakarta, Indonesia. Jessica Kumala Wangso, the one who initiated the coffee date, arrived at the mall earlier, at around 2pm. She first walked around the mall, went to the cafe that the friends agreed to meet in, looked around, walked out again, then returned again at around 4pm with three Bath & Body Works shopping bags. She had graciously purchased small gifts for her friends because she hadn't seen them in so long. After sitting down at her table, She gets back up and orders drinks for herself and for her friends. You might be thinking, oh, how very nice of her to get her friends their drinks first, and also offering to pay for them. Jessica walked back with the three drinks, put them on the table right behind the three shopping bags. In other words, if you looked over at her table, you wouldn't even see the drinks hidden behind the paper bags. Was that done on purpose? Who knows, but we will talk about that later. The bags contained gifts for her friends, so it didn't really seem suspicious for her to put it on the table, right? Eventually, the two friends arrive, one of them being Myrna Salihin, a friend who's had a bit of a falling out with Jessica in recent years. The three friends greet each other, sit down, and Jessica offers them their drinks. 
Myrna takes a quick sip of the Vietnamese coffee and makes a face. Myrna probably said something along the lines of, This coffee doesn't seem to taste right. In fact, it tastes pretty bad. Here, Jessica, you try it. Jessica declines, choosing to stick with her own drink instead. Myrna wonders if it's something in the coffee or if it's just the bitter taste of the coffee beans. She dismisses her concerns and continues chatting with her friends. A couple minutes later, Myrna feels something is terribly wrong. She seems to be having a seizure, proceeds to throw her head back while seated, foams at the mouth, and eventually she loses consciousness. People quickly call an ambulance, and they take her to Abdi Waluyo Hospital, which is just about one kilometer away from the shopping mall. Despite making it to the hospital as quickly as possible, Myrna did not recover from whatever she was suffering from. She died that same day at around 6 p.m., approximately an hour after meeting up with her friends. What the hell happened? Now that you already know what happened on the day of Myrna's death, we should now go back in time and try to understand where it all started from. Let's discuss some background information. Who was Wayan Myrna Salihin, and who is this lady Jessica Wangso who just so happens to share my name? Both women were Indonesian and born around the year 1988. They met while studying at the Billy Blue College of Design in Sydney, Australia. The two women became really good friends in no time, and were both part of a larger friend group. Wayan Myrna Salihin, whom we will refer to as Myrna from now on, came from a rather wealthy family. Apparently her father was heavily involved in Indonesia's plastics industry. Some sources would say she's what you would call a socialite, but I'm not sure if that's how everybody would classify her. But her family was definitely well off. I'm sure they still are. As for Jessica Wangzo, her family was also considered rich. Maybe not filthy rich, but definitely upper class, or at least rich enough for the whole family to have immigrated to Australia. According to the World Bank Group, Indonesia as a whole is now recognized as an upper-middle-income country, and while they reduced poverty, income inequality is still on the rise. With a larger income and wealth gap, I would say both Myrna and Jessica's families would be considered quite rich. Now, let's go back to the two women. Like most young people, they had a great time going to school together, bonding, traveling, all that stuff. But all happy times come to an end. And once they graduated from college, Myrna decided to return to Indonesia, while Jessica made the choice to stay and work in Australia, probably also because her entire family was there. Despite their close friendship at the time, you know how it is when friends move away. Your lives don't really sync up as much, you have less in common, you meet new people, make new friends, get in relationships, and maybe eventually you guys lose touch. Myrna and Jessica kept in touch, but just not as often as before, which is completely understandable. In the year 2014, Myrna traveled to Sydney for a holiday and decided to pay her old friend Jessica a visit. The two girls spent a lot of time catching up, discussing their current work lives, relationships, and everything in between. During Myrna's time in Indonesia, she had met and fallen in love with a man, and things seemed to be going very well for her. 
She also told Jessica that they had plans to get married in the near future. Jessica, on the other hand, wasn't so lucky. Sure, she was in a relationship, but according to her, her boyfriend was not that great. She said he was abusive, was constantly on drugs, anything bad, you name it. He was basically a collection of red flags. What would you have said if you were Jessica's friend? Myrna was very straightforward and tried to tell Jessica to dump his ass. Jessica allegedly became defensive over Myrna's straightforwardness, and the two began arguing over her relationship situation. Even if Myrna didn't understand or wasn't in Jessica's shoes, I could 100% understand her reaction. I probably would have done the same if my friend was in this situation, but I could also imagine why someone would get defensive over their crappy significant other. It's hard to see things clearly, and sometimes you don't want to admit it. Things soured between Myrna and Jessica, and after Myrna returned to Indonesia, the two women cut off contact with each other. Jessica's situation in Sydney did not improve. If anything, shit got out of control. In the year 2015, Jessica began working for New South Wales Ambulance as a graphic designer. She initially had a good relationship with her then-boss, Christy Carter, but she quickly began to exhibit strange behavior that eventually led Christy to feel scared and to report her to the authorities. It started out small. Jessica would seem all kind and bubbly one minute, but if she didn't get things done her way, her mood would change instantly and drastically, as in scary angry. Then in August of 2015, Jessica crashed her car into the exterior wall of a nursing home in Sydney. No one seemed to be injured at the time, so that's great. And it was later determined that Jessica was actually drunk behind the wheel. The next incident happened just a couple months later, where Jessica attempted suicide. During her stay at the hospital, she had allegedly lashed out at her boss Christy who came to visit her, telling her that, quote, These bastards in this hospital didn't allow me to go home, and they treated me like a murderer. If I want to kill someone, I know for sure how. I could get a gun. End quote. I think Christy must have had enough at this point, but just not enough to push her over the edge. Just a month after her suicide attempt, in November of 2015, Jessica got into an argument with Christy and threatened both Christy and Christy's mother's life. This was pretty much the last straw for Christy, and she reported Jessica to the police. Jessica denied everything, turned it around on Christy, and called her a liar. Normally, when we hear about two people arguing, it's very normal to want to know both sides of the he said, she said story. But Jessica, unfortunately, had a history of rather erratic behavior and a bad temper. So I could imagine most people trusting Christie's judgment in this case. Understandably, Jessica was fired. Oh, and in case you were wondering... Jessica did end up breaking up with that abusive, drug addict boyfriend of hers. Not sure how long that took. So up until this point, it's mostly been background information, just so you can get a sense of who Jessica and Myrna were and their friendship situation. While Jessica was doing weird stuff in Sydney, her ex-friend Myrna was back home in Jakarta planning her wedding in Bali. Myrna married her boyfriend in November of 2015, and not surprisingly, 
Jessica was not invited. The other friends in their friend group in Sydney were invited, though, and I would assume it impossible for Jessica to not have heard about the wedding. It's never been clear if she was specifically angry about this or angry about their previous interaction, or maybe both, but I wouldn't be surprised if she was at least a bit hurt over not being invited. Either way, after Jessica was fired from her graphic designer job, she decided to head back home to Jakarta. Maybe to see her friends, maybe to see some of her extended family, or maybe she had other things on her agenda. Jessica returned to Indonesia sometime in late December during the holidays. She decided to arrange a get-together with her friends from college, and that included Myrna. It's unclear as to how the arrangement was made, but most probably Jessica contacted her friends, announcing her return, and because they were good friends at one point, why not meet up and have coffee, for old time's sake? You already know what happened on January 6th. A seemingly innocent friendly get-together ends up with one person dead. When Myrna began seizing and foaming at the mouth, Jessica and their other friend had attempted to ask her what was wrong. When the staff from the cafe came over, Jessica immediately accused them of putting something in her drink. To most people, it seemed as if Myrna was having a seizure or maybe she had a bad reaction to something she ate or drank. Either way, police arrived at the scene and since Jessica had made accusations about someone putting something in her drink, the Vietnamese coffee was said to have been bagged and taken away for further examination. The police also requested the CCTV footage from the cafe, hoping they could clear up whatever situation they had at hand. As investigators looked through the camera footage, they could clearly see Jessica going in and leave the coffee shop, her arriving early with the shopping bags, putting the bags down on the table, and ordering three drinks. What struck them as odd was that the way the bags were placed, almost as if they were intentionally placed that way. You see, the camera inside the coffee shop did have an angle of the table she was at, but once she put the bags on the table, there were no other cameras that were directly pointing at her. When Jessica returned to the table with the drinks, the police could see that she seemed somewhat busy doing something behind the bags, but it's hard to say because it literally could have been anything. She also wasn't showing very large movements, so she could have just been on her phone or maybe just looking through her bag. After a while, Jessica is seen grabbing the bags and setting them aside on the chairs. A while later, Myrna and their other friend arrive, and I believe you already know what happens after. As you will see later, it was not surprising that Jessica Wangzo became the primary suspect in Myrna's death. So what caused Myrna, a young woman in her late 20s, to suddenly die in the middle of the day in a coffee shop? Myrna's family was initially against an autopsy, which I believe was due to cultural and religious reasons. But the police really needed more information in order to find out what really happened. So eventually the family granted them permission to take samples. Maybe not a full-on autopsy, but toxicology reports at least. After multiple tests were conducted, a tiny amount of cyanide was found in Myrna's stomach, which supposedly only showed up a few days after her death. Not sure if they took multiple tests or the results didn't show up till later, 
but it was said that there were no traces of cyanide anywhere else in her body, not in her bowels or her liver. Myrna's intestines were reportedly corroded, and her lips had turned black, which were general signs of cyanide poisoning. But aside from what I mentioned, her body did not seem to show any other signs of cyanide poisoning. But to nobody's surprise, this theory had already become the most popular theory for her cause of death. Another theory, though less popular, was that maybe Myrna had some underlying illness that no one, not even herself, was aware of. But once the reports on the contents of the Vietnamese coffee came back, that underlying illness theory was pretty much thrown out the window. Cyanide was found in the coffee, which pretty much confirmed what most people were thinking of. Jessica Wangzo became suspect number one. She was arrested and charged with premeditated murder on January 30, 2016. This case became huge in Indonesia for various reasons. It reeked of drama, gossip, and it involved two young women from rich families. It's almost like watching a super cheesy TV drama, except it's real life. So why did they arrest Jessica? Or at least, what did the police think happened that led them to make this arrest? Please remember that lots of the information and theories that I'm about to tell you could be seen as circumstantial. It makes sense once you weave the story together, but without solid proof. It's really just speculation. So prior to meeting up with her friends, Jessica somehow managed to obtain a small dose of cyanide to poison Myrna with. The day the friends had decided to meet up, Jessica was seen entering the coffee shop hours before she was due to meet up with her friends. The police say she was scouting the place, checking for camera angles. Later on, she returns with three bags, but instead of placing them on the empty chairs, she places the bags on the table almost as if to block the only camera that had a view of her table. She was also said to have insisted on treating her friends for afternoon coffee, also insisting on ordering the drinks for them before they even arrived. This was her plan, using generosity and kindness as a front, when in fact she just wanted to get a chance to tamper with the drink behind the bags. Despite Jessica's shady actions, she was never actually seen taking anything out of her purse or adding anything in the drink. At least her body language did not seem to indicate this. If she did add the cyanide into the coffee, was she somehow carrying it in her sleeve? Or maybe she had it in her pocket or somewhere else more accessible, where it wouldn't be obvious when she reached for it. Also, she probably wouldn't have had to stir the drink. She could have just dumped the cyanide in, and let it sit. How Jessica managed to get a dosage of cyanide was never really answered, but considering her family status and wealth, I wouldn't be surprised if she somehow found a way to get it. So that's the how of the murder. But equally important would be the why. If everything I said earlier happened to be true, why would she want to kill Myrna? One of the theories was that Jessica was secretly in love with Myrna. After Myrna's death, her father looked through her messages and found a few suspiciously intimate messages from Jessica to Myrna. Police combed through the entire chat log, but later ruled this out. Imagine that, a love triangle that resulted in a murder. As for the most popular theory, we would have to go back to the background information from earlier. 
They were good friends until Myrna tried to tell Jessica to ditch that no-good boyfriend of hers. Jessica was said to have been jealous. Her life wasn't as great as she'd hoped. Myrna, on the other hand, was thriving, marrying the love of her life. And now she's acting like she's better and telling Jessica to break up. To add insult to injury, Myrna didn't even bother inviting Jessica to her wedding. Instead of accepting the death of their friendship, Jessica maybe decided killing Myrna was the only way to make things right. Does this sound like a good theory to you? I mean, people have killed for way less, so anything is possible. Of course, when there's an accusation, there's going to be another side to it. Remember, a tiny bit of cyanide was found only in Myrna's stomach, nowhere else. The police invited an Australian toxicologist by the name of Bang Bang Ong to help after they realized they were actually getting nowhere with the investigation. And after looking through the reports, Bang Bang Ong stated that the amount and concentration found in Myrna's stomach did not match the amount and concentration found inside the coffee. And while he did not deny that there were traces of cyanide in her, it could not be the definitive cause of her death. I have no idea if that's how toxicology works, and since he's the expert, I'm just not going to argue with him. But as a normal person looking into this case, I don't really understand how she could have ingested cyanide, but it not being the cause of her death. Unless it was a teeny tiny amount, but I would still expect the body to have a reaction, maybe the kind of reaction she had that day. Some experts say that it could have easily been Myrna's cause of death, but because it actually took a while to test and conduct an autopsy, a lot of the cyanide could have already evaporated. Another Australian toxicologist, Michael Robertson, questioned the autopsy, saying that it was possible that an incomplete autopsy had been carried out, which could explain why cyanide was not found anywhere else besides her stomach. Maybe it wasn't a thorough autopsy because Myrna's family was mostly against it? Regardless of whether the autopsy was done fully or not, it was way too late to go back and redo it, as months had already passed. Jessica's lawyers, Yudi Wibowo and Otto Hasibuan, and her supporters were very adamant on her innocence. They said the arrest was completely biased and unfair and that everything they have against her was purely circumstantial. Which, I would have to say, is kind of true. There is no evidence that Jessica obtained or was in possession of cyanide. There was no solid evidence Jessica even put cyanide in the coffee. Was it really enough to convict Jessica for the murder? Just because she had a rocky friendship with Myrna? The investigation went on for a bit. Jessica Wangzo was even taken back to the coffee shop with police and investigators to recreate the afternoon Myrna died. They had the three Bath and Body Works bags, had the same drinks, and kind of played out how she could or could not have dosed the coffee. Either way, it didn't amount to much. The chief detective, Krishna Murthy, did however comment that, quote, Jessica's statement is highly inconsistent with the facts we have gathered. We will confirm whether her statement as a suspect is still consistent with her one as a witness or if she will give another statement. End quote. During the investigation, 
Australian police were said to have been willing to share Jessica's criminal record with the Indonesian police, but only under the promise that she would not get the death penalty if found guilty. As you may or may not know, there are certain countries in Asia that are very strict to the law. Something like drug trafficking, or maybe something you may see as not too crazy, could result in somebody's death. This was the case for Jessica, as in, if she were found guilty, she could get the firing squad. Now, before I get to the actual sentencing, I wanted to talk a little bit about how the Indonesian public reacted to this case. In one article from foreignpolicy.com, they state that there is an Indonesian proverb that goes like, when two elephants clash, the mouse caught in between is doomed. And in this case, the two elephants would be Myrna's family and Jessica Wongzo, while the mouse would be the average Indonesian public. Like I mentioned earlier, the wealth gap in Indonesia exists and is said to be on the rise. And for the average civilian watching this trial where two rich families fight each other, can be pretty dramatic and juicy. It was said that the upper class were leaning more towards supporting Jessica, and the rest were more sympathetic towards Myrna. It's like one of those soap operas you see on TV where the bad guy is a rich person who tries to get away with being a terrible person and actually has a chance to get away with things because they're rich. That doesn't sit well with most people. Also, Jessica's lawyers and defense team managed to hire so-called experts from Australia, including the toxicology experts mentioned earlier. To the upper class, these foreign experts somehow seem more reliable or professional. For the more patriotic Indonesians, this act of hiring outside experts seem unnecessary and almost offensive. Like pretty much dissing your own experts. It's an interesting aspect though. Many countries in Asia have this mentality that those from the West are somehow more qualified only because they're from the West. That's actually a huge issue all on its own, and I won't go into it now, but whether you agree with this or not, it happens. So what does Jessica have to say? Jessica has denied her involvement from day one. She insists that she is innocent, and although it could be quite normal to want to give her the benefit of the doubt, it's kind of difficult in a sense. Not because she arrived extra early to the coffee shop that day, and not because she ordered the drink for Myrna, but because of her behavior after she was charged with murder. If you recall one of my earlier episodes about the Malaysian witch lady, Mona Fandi, well, Jessica was a little like that. I kid you not. In so many photos of Jessica, whether she's being questioned, interviewed, or simply photographed, she has this huge, eerie smile plastered across her face. In one snippet of Australia 60 Minutes, you see Jessica walking with prison guards and being asked if she had anything to do with Myrna's death. Holy moly, that laugh and smile is something I will remember for quite a long time. I will post some of these eerie pictures to my Instagram page later on, and it's really quite bizarre. It certainly doesn't win her any sympathy or innocent points, and although we shouldn't determine her guilt or innocence based on whether she's smiling a lot or not, it's still pretty strange. Indonesia's justice system moved very quickly, for better or for worse. Jessica's trial began on June 15, 2016, 
and after 135 days of trial, a panel of three judges in the Central Jakarta District Court found Jessica guilty for the murder of Myrna. What really convinced the judges was Jessica's actions on the day of Myrna's death, beginning from her early arrival at the coffee shop to her ordering the coffee and to her weird placement of the paper bags. The motive was pretty straightforward. Jealousy and revenge. But was any of this proven? Was she innocent until proven guilty, or was it the other way around? There was never concrete evidence for either side, as in the prosecution couldn't prove Jessica murdered Myrna, and the defense couldn't really prove she didn't. So a huge chunk of the trial was made up of expert witnesses like psychologists and toxicologists. Jessica's past records from Australia was also brought up, and although there was little evidence proving she killed Myrna, people did, however, question her mental state. The whole trial was very messy in my opinion. Basically, nobody knew anything. The prosecution couldn't even prove Myrna died from cyanide poisoning, and they had trouble linking Jessica to the cyanide, and yet, the judges still found her guilty. Luckily for her, though, the death penalty was off the table and she instead got the minimum penalty, which is 20 years in prison. If she did kill Myrna, then I'd say she got off easy considering it was premeditated and pretty malicious. But if she's innocent, then that would be at least 20 years wasted. When the verdict was handed down, Jessica said that it was, quote, not fair. Objectively, I kind of think it's not fair. What do you guys think? Most of Jessica's past in Australia was uncovered, and although her former boss from New South Wales Ambulance did not go to attend the trial, she did tell reporters and investigators that she realized Jessica had two sides to her. Quote, At one time, I saw Jessica as someone kind, who loves to smile, and suddenly she could be someone quick to anger when someone didn't follow what she wanted. End quote. Christy Carter also commented on Jessica's DUI incident, where she crashed into a nursing home. Quote, Jessica didn't show any guilty feeling after hitting a nursing home and nearly killing someone. End quote. Honestly, none of that looked good for Jessica. I'm not done, though. Remember Jessica's good-for-nothing drug addict boyfriend? It was later revealed that he had called the police a few times, the first incident where Jessica threatened to harm herself in early 2015, the second time in October of 2015 where she attempted suicide by burning coal, and a third time where she again tried to self-harm. On the third time, the police had discovered letters Jessica had written prior to self-harming. The first letter was about how her death would be her boyfriend's fault, the second letter was to her workplace, and the third was for her family. Despite Jessica telling Myrna that her boyfriend had been abusive, it turns out that the boyfriend had a restraining order against Jessica because of her erratic behavior, as in she was threatening his friends and his family. If any of this is true, then Jessica really needs help. Jessica has tried to appeal and overturn her sentence, but without submitting new evidence that could prove her innocence, any appeal she makes is just a waste of time. She has now exhausted all of her options and must serve out her 20-year sentence. Myrna's twin sister has not been shy about her hatred for Jessica Wongzo. 
In an interview with 60 Minutes, she said that Jessica has never received this kind of attention from anyone, and it is clear that she is enjoying being in the spotlight, despite being a murder suspect. It's kind of hard for me to disagree with her because, like I said, Jessica just comes off so smiley and happy. Myrna's twin sister, Sandy, also stated her wish, which was, quote, eye for an eye, a life for a life, end quote. I would assume she was pretty disappointed when Jessica didn't get the death sentence. I also wanted to make something clear. A lot of the information I found regarding this case contradicted each other. Some sources stated that an autopsy was never performed on Myrna, while others said there was one after her parents agreed to it. Some sources say that the Vietnamese coffee was tossed out on the day of Myrna's death, while others said that the police did take it and tested it, which ended up testing positive for cyanide. Some say Jessica was fired from her job in Sydney, while others say she resigned or was even still working there. I kind of went with what I found to make more sense, and if I happened to go with the wrong source, I apologize. And if you have the correct information, do let me know. So, there you have it. The not-so-open-and-shut case of the murder of Myrna Salihin. Do you think Jessica somehow poisoned her? If cyanide didn't kill Myrna, what did? A heart attack? A mysterious illness? And if you think Jessica did kill her, how did she do it? I personally am not a fan of Jessica, and I do believe she would benefit with the help of a good psychiatrist. She's overly happy during the entire trial and press events, and she gives off an attention-seeking vibe. Yes, she does come off a bit as an asshole, but that may not mean that she is a murderer. Maybe she is enjoying the attention, but also happens to be innocent. Who knows? I honestly think the only person who knows the truth is Jessica herself, and if she is guilty, I highly doubt she will be willing to share that piece of information. Not gonna lie, it felt a little weird narrating this whole entire case, saying Jessica this, Jessica that, especially knowing how she was actually a murder suspect. What happened to Myrna is horrible, no doubt. She was only 27, just got married, and like Jessica said after her verdict, it's not fair. Thank you all for your patience, and you guys are saints. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will be back again with more Asian Madness. Stay safe, and I hope you're all happy. Till next time. Before I go, I would like to thank my newest Patreon member, Sayafika Sakina, and I'd also like to thank the following two for your lovely reviews, Blue Daisy Rose from Australia and Skilvia Plath from the U.S., you guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.